0: his saving name as the one who died for me. I plead his blood to pay my debts of wrong, accept his worthiness for my unworthiness, his sinlessness for my transgressions, his purity for my uncleanness, his sincerity for my guile, his truth for my deceits, his meekness for my pride, his constancy for my backslidings, his love for my enmity, his fullness for my emptiness, his faithfulness for my treachery, his obedience for my lawlessness, his glory for my shame, his devotedness for my waywardness, his holy life for my unchaste ways, his righteousness for my dead works, and his death for my life. Amen.
1: Well, the uh, the topic today in Christ plays in creation <clears throat> is the glory, and and I think that we as a group, <clears throat> and I'm not sure how many, if any, <clears throat> <of> this <clears throat>
0: boy, I'm just not clear in here, but read uh meredith klein's book uh on uh oh gosh images
1: images of the spirit images yeah it's a short a short book on the holy spirit but he identifies the shekinah the the glorious presence uh of God in Israel's midst, as uh, identifies primarily with the third person of the Trinity, uh, while identifying the angel of the Lord manifestation of God as primarily associated with the second person of the Trinity. Um, but at one point, the uh, James, which is ironic in the Max, James, the brother of the Lord, calls Jesus the glory in uh, in his letter. I think it's often translated the glorious Lord, but in in Greek it says the Lord the glory. So it doesn't use uh, an adjective like what kind of Lord he is, but equates it's a it's a noun uh, equates. The Lord with the glory, so that uh, these two, uh, both title and image are uh, are identified with God Himself, as manifest in the second person of the Trinity. So, um, one of the points that Klein wants to make, and you know, I don't know if you all are following along in the Psalm reading. But when you read the Psalms, uh, one of the things that you know is that Hebrew poetry uses the technique of parallelism, sometimes synonymous parallelism, where you say something one way and then you say the same thing another way. So um, sometimes you have antithetical parallelism and you say one thing, and then you say the opposite thing, and so, and then you have a third kind of parallelism, which they call synthetic parallelism, which is, you say one thing, you say an opposing thing, and then you put those two things together in uh, in a synthesis, so that you actually make progress. You know, you kind of this plus this equals this and so but oftentimes in parallelism you will see uh, a parallelism between glory in the Psalms and the spirit of God in the Psalms so just want to kind of give you a pay attention to this when you read the Psalms and notice that in in couplets oftentimes you'll see those two things in parallelism. And so once you start to see that, you continue to see that. I told you about my grandson and his learning the dove call. So now he's all about doves. And now has learned a blue jay call and a cardinal call, not all of them, but he knows some of what they say. And, uh, and he came over yesterday. And they got in the pool and he's been taking swimming lessons for the last two weeks. Now last week he got in the pool and he didn't want to get off the step. They kind of kept pulling him off the step and he wasn't happy about it and would sputter and take in water and stuff. But that was a But yeah, this week he is swimming. And so oh it was and is excited about it so it was fun to see they (laughs) got him to pick up stuff off the bottom and uh so at at two and a half he was uh he was getting it so i was like whoa what a difference a week makes you know they learned so fast (laughs) that's neat (laughs) so so anyway the glory is is such a big deal and i think again In the architecture of our sanctuary, that inset front window always reminds me of the pillar of God's glory in Israel's midst. That seeing in morning worship in particular, the light of the the sun in the east streaming down the walls and around that window, both illuminating the window, but also, you know, you see kind of this. Aura of light coming down the walls is such a vivid image to me, and I, I just thought, Boy, you know, I never knew which architect decided to design it that way, but I thought, Man, did they get it right? Uh, you know, that because I wish I could tell you that was my idea, but it, it wasn't. I just recognized what a brilliant stroke it was, um, but. But the glory of God, when the glory of God is present, one of the ways for us to think about it is that God is present in his judicial robes. That, you know, when you come into a courtroom and the judge is going to pass judgment, is there in authority? He is at the bench in his robes. And so when God appears in glory to some degree or another it is judgment day is that there is a division between kind of the righteous and the unrighteous and that God is feels empowered to make that distinction so it's again like an intrusion of the end times into this present time so it's like a flash forward to judgment day so the the wars of annihilation in canaan the wars of possession really should be seen as judgment events where god decides at that point to rid the land of this infestation of evildoers and so declares judgment day and invites either repentance or destruction, is that if they refuse to repent and join, then they have two choices. They can leave or they can fight. And if they fight, they will fight and lose everything because God himself will fight for Israel. So he is there as the avenging angel. He is there as the the Lord, the judge, and has pronounced judgment from which there is no appeal this is the supreme court and god is the supreme judge so anyway just to kind of say to you when when god is there uh god is there in glory things are different than when the angel of the lord is the main manifestation of god Mm. and so when the angel of the lord is the main manifestation of god the way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob deal with their pagan neighbors is the same way that we deal with our pagan neighbors. Is that they deal with them in honesty, they deal with them with integrity, they deal with them with grace. But sorry, I just a phone call. <clears throat> when judgment day comes, then our approach to unbelievers is completely different. You know, we are not at that point seeking to to win them over. You know, when judgment day comes, the sheep and the goats get separated. So, so God's glory is sort of the determining factor as to what time it is eschatologically. Mm-hmm. You know, when Paul says today is the day of salvation— What he basically means is God is not present in his glory, but he will be. But while today is still today, repentance and salvation are possible so that God's enemies can become God's children. But once the Lord returns in glory, that has passed and there will be separation between one and the other. So I don't know. Hope that's helpful background. Let's, uh, let's read, read the glory. <clears throat> okay. Glory. And again, anybody know your Greek here? What is the word for glory?
0: Is it doxa?
1: Doxa. Excellent. Excellent. Oh. Excellent. I read ahead. I read
0: ahead. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Doxology. Yes, exactly. And the uh, the latin term is gloria so we sing two hymns of praise to god usually in our worship the glory the gloria glory to god and you know glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy ghost and the doxology praise god from whom all blessings flow <clears throat> so glory is the light filled words spilling out the extravagant brightness that marks God's presence among us. It is also used to ascribe honor and dignity and weightiness to mountains and weather and men and women. <clears throat> now, again, the, uh, the, the word in Hebrew, uh, kavod, is uh, is a word really for weight. So again, the Hebrew idea of glory is that it is substantial and weighty. So, uh, so that's, that's where he's going here. The most prominent use in our scriptures is in relation to God. No one has ever seen God, John 1.18, but we do see his glory the bright splendor that marks God's presence present among us here and now at Sinai, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and most of all, and most personally, in Jesus. Quote, we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John one fourteen. John's fondness for the term glory in retelling, in his retelling of the meaning of our participation in the creation is noteworthy. Glory, quote unquote, a prominent word throughout our scriptures, is nowhere more prominent than in John's gospel. Quote, dwelt among us on the first page of the gospel, the RSV, is an arresting image and paints a picture of, that pulls the entire gospel within its frame. To say that Jesus, the word, has become flesh, quote, dwelt among us, unquote, sends tentacles of association far back into the Hebrew Bible to Exodus. When the recently saved people of God <clears throat> instructed to pitch an elaborate tent, the tabernacle, that became the place on earth where God revealed himself and was worshipped. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Again, I think significantly, I think scholars have uh, demonstrated that, that what the tabernacle does is that it is a, a replica of or a microcosm of the Garden of Eden and the creation itself so that God's presence in the garden recalls the original sanctuary that the Garden of Eden was intended to be, and that Revelation tells us that the whole creation will become, that that's, that's how the story ends, that's the goal of history, with God's glory filling every square inch of his creation, that God is present in his glory So that sin is not possible. There is no continuing revolt against God's authority. And there is nothing within the creation at that point that is not in harmony with and in right relationship to the king and the maker. So, um, okay, centuries later. Joel prophesied of a coming time when, quote, You shall know that I, the Lord your God, dwell, there it is again, dwell in Zion. Joel 3.17. Italics added here and in following passages. When Israel
2: returned
1: from Babylonian exile, they heard a sermon in which Zechariah preached, quote, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For lo, I will come and dwell in your midst. Zechariah 2.10 God, showing Ezekiel a vision of the perfected temple, told him, quote, This is the place of my throne where I will, and again italics, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. Ezekiel 43.7 So when John tells us that Jesus the flesh and blood Jesus that everyone received dwelt among us. He clearly means us understand that Jesus is the new tabernacle and temple of the Hebrew people. Do you want to see God present among you? Do you want to come into the presence of God and worship him? Here he is making himself at home among you, Jesus pitching his tent, building his house, setting up shop. And again, the Greek word to dwell is the word skene. And skene means to pitch your tent. So when I take Penny out to Everglades National Park, we're going to go skene. We're going to go pitch our tent. God mm-hmm. bless the woman so, there is there is another possible word triggered association here. In rabbinic times, many years after the Hebrew Bible was completed, the Hebrew verb "dwell" (quote unquote) was given a noun form, "shekina," which was widely used in the Hebrew religious community to mark God's presence, God dwelling among his people, accompanied by a visible display of bright glory. There are frequent connections made in our scriptures between the presence of God and the glory of God. Exodus 24, 15, and 16 at Mount Sinai. Exodus 40, verse 34, with the tabernacle. Remember how Exodus ends with the glory of God filling the tabernacle the <coughs> No one could enter. First Kings 8, with the building of the temple, 10 and 11, at Solomon's temple, the glory of God leaves the tabernacle and enters Solomon's temple and takes up residence there. And then in the future temple, Ezekiel 44.4, four, in the vision of the restored temple, Shekinah became the word that marked this visible light spilling presence of god among us shekinah became a virtual synonym for god when john immediately follows quote and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and with we beheld his glory many readers of his gospel noticing the frequent references to glory 34 times in John's gospel in relation to Jesus may well have heard echoes of Shekinah the God revealing glory evident in Jesus but especially in his prayers notice John 12 27 and 28 John 17 1 4 5 10 22 and 24 so again powerful Prayers of Jesus that talk about God coming in his glory or restoring the glory that was his before the foundation of the earth. By a sheer but happy accident of language, the consonants in the Greek term dwell, skene, S-K-N, are similar to the consonants in Hebrew to dwell, S-H-K-N shakan shekinah as opposed to skinning the respective words in greek and hebrew not only meant the same thing but sounded the same reinforcing the associations between the place where people where the people met and worshiped god and the person of jesus in whom the people met and worshiped god one of the, just a side point here is that in john chapter 2 uh, jesus identifies he you know the cleansing of the temple in john's gospel takes place at the outset of jesus ministry not the last week and so at the outset of jesus jesus public ministry he clears the temple in a clear uh recollection of jeremiah chapter 7 and he does it in such a way as to warn them of the judgment to come. So he tells them, you know, you have made my house a den of thieves, uh, a den of robbers. But God intended it always to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so, you know, what you have done is to pervert the good gift of God, and and judgment is coming upon you for that. Uh, so then he says. You know, tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it (coughs) up. As so often, didn't understand what he was saying, didn't understand what he meant, until after the resurrection on the third day. And then they understand that he was referring to the temple of his body, that Jesus is the place where God dwells in glory. So Jesus is the final temple. Which again, Jesus Himself teaches, as they as they sing, uh, leaving that Passover meal, they what they would sing is Psalm one eighteen, and Jesus uses Psalm one eighteen on that last night to identify Himself as the stone the builders rejected, which God had to God is chosen and precious that. It is the chief cornerstone of the final temple that God will build. And we see Peter making much of that in first Peter two, when he says, not only is Jesus the chosen, precious cornerstone, but what does he say about you and me?
0: Holy priesthood.
1: Well, we're a holy. We are we
0: are living stones. We're living stones.
1: Exactly right. So we are the priests in that temple, and we are the stones of that temple. So he goes on from understanding Psalm 118 through the lens that Jesus gave him, and now makes the next application as an authorized rabbi to this group of Gentiles who now keep the law because it's written on their hearts they fulfill the love command of Leviticus 19.18, which says you are to love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus says is the whole law. So again, it's not about what you eat, and it's not about how you wash or whether you're circumcised or not. It matters about how your heart is. And if your heart has the law, the Torah written on it, then you keep the law because it is your desire to do so. So that you bless people. You love your neighbor as yourself. And so that means you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't commit adultery, you don't murder. All of those all of those things, you know, you don't covet what isn't yours. You are satisfied in what God has given. All of these things you do because the law is written on your heart and your heart is satisfied in God, that God is your treasure. So, Angelo, are you ready to say something? No? Okay, I thought you were about to jump in. So so here we are at the top of page
2: 100. There is another possible word-triggered association. Oh, I think I already did that. Yeah, Jesus is the person, down below.
1: Jesus, thank you. Jesus is the person in whom We see God present among us, God dwelling among us, God here and now. Jesus calls us out of our libraries and classrooms and lecture halls where we are studying the rich and storied past of God's revelation. Jesus challenges our obsessive preoccupations with scenarios of how and when God will finally accomplish his purposes with us and all humankind. Quote, Look at what is right before you. I am. The signs are all over the place. The sayings are echoing in our minds and hearts. The glory. But once we take a careful John guided look at Jesus... We have to revise our understanding of glory considerably. The thunder and lightning of Sinai, the elaborate rituals and fabrics and designs for worship in the wilderness tent, the architectural splendors of the Solomonic temple, the spinning gyroscopic cherubim dazzle of Ezekiel's throne, the thunderous Psalm 29 poem prayer that conducts the entire creation into symphonic harmonies. All this is now background to the glory that we see in Jesus. Man, that guy can turn a phrase though, can he? he? He really can.
2: can. Yes, he can. can. Yep. Huh?
1: Nothing of the splendor that is conveyed in these earlier expressions of glory <clears throat> or minimized in any way. But <clears throat> This glory must now be reimagined and received and entered into as Jesus reveals it. Jesus, ignorable. Jesus, unimpressive. Jesus, dismissed. Jesus, marginal. Jesus, suffering. Jesus, rejected. Jesus, derided. Jesus, hung on a cross and the final and irrefutable indignity, Jesus dead and buried. All this is included in the content of we beheld his glory. At the pivotal center point of his gospel, John gives us Jesus' most significant and critical, but also most disconcerting statement on the glory. Jesus is anticipating his imminent death. He says, quote, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, or amen, I tell you. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now is my soul troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. John 12, 23 to 28. So again, that's the prayer of Jesus for God to glorify his own name in the cross. Jesus, seems seems... As an option, he can ask the father to save him from the hour of death. He can ask the father to deliver him from the fiery furnace and the lion's den. He can ask the father to glorify the son in triumph. In a Moses Red Sea crossing, a Joshua Jericho march, in Elijah's fiery chariot, he can ask for another way than a sacrificial death. He considers it. Or at least he knows it is a possibility, but he doesn't do it.
0: Well, if you, you went back to where saying God is present in His judicial robes. It had to be judgment. If He was going to be glorified, it had to be a time of judgment.
2: And exactly. the cross was
0: judgment, and the others were not necessarily. They were judgment in a sense, uh, like the Red Sea crossing was judgment on Israel, on Egypt. But um, but it had to be judgment.
1: That's right. Well, and again, it was judgment on Jericho, you know. So right. you know, but but again, what he has come to do is to bear the judgment. Right. He's the one who takes on the judgment. So these words are precipitated by by Philip Andrew coming to Jesus and telling him that some Greeks want to see him jesus has a great evangelistic opportunity to build on their quote seeker curiosity to recruit the greeks as followers but jesus ignores the request what we would be apt to call the opportunity maybe jesus sensed that the greeks were tourists and were only in jerusalem that passover week to see the sights One of the sites being Jesus. Jesus begins and ends this passage with the term glory. Now, I put a question mark next to that paragraph because I think. I don't get that. Well, I think think what's good is that for Jesus, when the Greeks show up and ask to see him, it says to Jesus, time's up. That in fact, what God is doing is he is drawing Gentiles to come to him in the way that Isaiah promised that they would. That that shows that the end of the age is upon them and that it is judgment day. And so he died on behalf of both Greeks and Jews and all who will call upon the name of the Lord as Peter will preach six weeks later on Pentecost uh, from Joel. But to him, when the Greeks express interest in him, that says time is up. And it is time for the cross to take place. So he turns away. He doesn't reach out to them. He leaves that to his apostolic followers, who he has promised will do greater things than he did, Here's the greater thing. So that is their function. His function is to be the Lamb of God who takes away not only the sin of Israel, but the sins of the sin of the world. So so I think that is the, the alarm that goes off for Jesus when they say, Greeks came and said, sir, we would see Jesus. So which used to be a plaque that Dr. Duke had put on our old pulpit uh, that was present there. I think we're about, when Jared comes, I've got a plaque that never got put on the old pulpit, but always sat there. And I think Ron and I have found a place on the new pulpit to put it, but it was the plaque that was on the original pulpit when I came honoring Dr. Ryan Wood. And... uh, we want to make sure that Jared understands that he is about to become the heir of the vision of Dr. Wood, uh, that he stands in a line uh, and that the torch was passed from Dr. Wood to to me and to Ron and that we're passing it to him. So don't screw this up. What, what did it say? What's the sign say? This, well, it just remembers, it said this pulpit is... Is in honor of Dr. <clears throat> Ryan, Hood, but Dr. Wood <clears throat> was the original church planter. Oh, I see. Okay. Memorial planted five churches, uh, and we are we are one of those five. And so, you know, since that time, we have planted more churches, uh, both globally and locally. But that that really is the vision of Eco in the state of Florida. And again, what I said yesterday is that it is strategic that First Pres is kind of the leader of that movement and that really the only church that has that same sort of passion for continuing to plant churches, you know, out from us. So uh, that Dr. Wood had, as he tried, because he planted, uh, and you know, it's interesting, the two churches that we have planted since we got into ECO, we have planted In partnership with Memorial, Dr. Wood's old church, and with Indian River, one of the churches he planted, our sister church. And so, uh, you know, we have not been able to actually get other partners within the state of Florida to plant a church with us. So that's what I told on the first meeting that I had with Jared. I said, I didn't get this done. That's your job. If you come here, that's what you got to do. And if if that's not what you want to do, you shouldn't come here. So So I said your church, your church planting background makes you uniquely qualified to do this. But it is uh you know, this church has a trajectory and and a mission. And and if you're going to come here, you need to embrace that mission. So I think we got a uniquely qualified person to do it. So we just want to kind of do that symbolically with that plaque, which is now in the pastor's office, but actually fits, I think, on that, that new pulpit that we have. So anyway, here we go. Jesus begins and ends this passage with the term, quote, Glory. Glory, the brightness of God's presence right here on our home ground, clearly has something, maybe everything, to do with his approaching death and burial. This is going to take some relearning. The dictionaries and word studies in Hebrew and Greek, the etymologies and definitions that we are so fond of at this moment are radically relativized. Jesus takes the brightest word in our vocabularies and plunges it into the darkest pit of experience, violent, and excruciating death. Everything we ever associated with glory has to be recast. We have entered a mystery. But it is not a total mystery. Every gardener, Sarah, pay attention, Every gardener knows something of this. <clears throat> Spring we bury seeds in our gardens and in a few weeks enjoy the bloom of flowers and the nourishment of vegetables. Oh. The, yeah, the metaphor enables our participation. <clears throat> Jesus as he so often did uses a familiar experience that we all have. In this case planting a seed in the soil to lead us into the unfamiliar, the mystery that he wills us to enter, glory. Glory is what we are after. Whatever else glory is, it is not just more of what we already have or the perfection of what we already have. Do we suppose that the Christian life is simply a human, biological, intellectual, mortal life developed and raised a few degrees above the common sun. Do we think that faith in Jesus is a kind of mechanism, like a carjack, that we use to lever ourselves up to a higher plane where we have access to God? Jesus' imagery to be followed soon by his sacrifice is totally a counter to our culture of more, more. Could Jesus have made it any clearer? We don't become more, we become less. Instead of grasping more tightly to whatever we value, we let it all go. Quote, he who loses his life will save it. Quote, blessed are the poor in spirit is another way that Jesus said it. Here's the thing. We must let Jesus define the glory for us, or we will miss it entirely. The astonishing thing from our perspective is that so few people who were around Jesus saw his glory. They were looking right at the glory and didn't see it. They variously perceived in Jesus ignorance, lack of sophistication, blasphemy lawlessness an excellent not to be missed opportunity to exploit a threat that would destroy a privileged way of life and finally at the crucifixion abject failure one of the extraordinary things about john's gospel is that even though it explicitly states that it is written so that we might believe in Jesus as the Son of God, few people did in fact believe in him. In the presence of all those signs, despite all those conversations and prayers and discourses in which Jesus over and over again identified himself as God's word, echoing me, speaking creation and salvation and wholesomeness of life into being. Not many saw the glory. One of the severe handicaps under which the church operates is the cover up of the glory with respectable substitutes such as acceptance and honor, success and quote relevance. Over and over again, we miss it. The Greeks missed it. Tourists at the holy sites, cameras at the ready. Guidebooks in hand tried to hire Philip as a tour guide to Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't pose for their photographs. Jesus was already praying his way to the cross. Jesus had been giving hints of the glory that was about to be displayed fully. Quote, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. End quote. But in a way that no one anticipated. Death a most horrible but freely chosen death. Tell the Greeks to go back home and take pictures of the Parthenon. Not many hours after this stunning, baffling juxtaposition of glory and death, Jesus prays for his disciples that they, we are included, will be glorified with the same glory. The glory that you have given me I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. John 17, 23. The glory with which Jesus was glorified and the glory for which Jesus prayed for us is quite different from the kinds of glory that we are conditioned to want and admire. This glory is not conspicuous. It is not glamorous. It is not the glory that gets featured in glossy magazines or travel posters. It is not a glory noticed by fashion editors. It is not a glory that flatters our lusts and egos. But it is no less glory for all that. This glory, once we perceive it, is the brightness radiating from God as he moves into our neighborhood. Followers of Jesus regularly have to relearn the meaning of words corrupted by our culture and debased by our sin. Jesus is the dictionary in which we look up the meaning of words. When we look up the glory in Jesus, we find, are we ever ready for this? Obscurity, rejection, and humiliation. Incomprehension and misapprehension, a sacrificial life and an obedient death, the bright presence of God backlighting what the world despises or ignores. Just as the glory was evident in Jesus throughout his life for those who were watching the signs and discerning the clues from his words, so also among contemporary followers of Jesus, Christians don't have to wait until we die to die. We don't have to wait until after our funerals to get in on the glory, as Saint Teresa, one of our most irreverent and audacious saints, used to say: "The pay starts in this life." So, 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 what do what we, what do we learn here?
3: Um, <clears throat> We're, we're looking, we're looking for Jesus, right? Yes. <clears throat> looking for Jesus in the Bible, I guess. We're looking for Jesus, and through the Bible, we're looking for Jesus in, in, in history and and um, oh, okay, in history. And what he's saying is that that where you see glory in the bible and in biblical history you really are seeing jesus or or at least that it culminates
1: in jesus correct yeah i like like that first actually i like how you said it first and i think that the apostle paul says exactly that to the corinthians when he talks about the rock when he talks about the water from the rock incident he tells the Corinthians, and the rock was what? Christ. Christ. Right. In in the Exodus, with Moses, in the wilderness, that it was Christ who stood on the rock and took the blow. That again, you have the cross depicted just as we saw it depicted in Isaac on Sunday. It was depicted at the rock and water incident when God tells Moses to strike the rock. That he takes the blow that the people deserved and then provides for them in the wilderness water from the rock that that the one who saved them and the one who brought Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees to the promised land was no one other than Jesus. When he says, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, what? I, I am. am. I am. Ego me That Jesus claims to be Ego me. He claims to be I am. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, and again, they get it. They know what he said, and they take up rocks to stone him for blasphemy. But, as the old FPL commercial used to say, it ain't bragging when it's true. So, but I, I think what Saint Teresa is saying is that in the life of Angelo Archidapani, glory can be seen. And what Angelo Archidapani's book says is that he was blind until he saw the glory. That he was. An atheist and then suddenly and radically became not only a theist but a Christian because he beheld the glory and saw his life transformed by that picture or image (laughs) of the glory of God held up before him through the witness of his wife and friends and the preaching of the gospel that suddenly he had ears to hear. I mean, that's the story. So, so let's see here. We're at 10 o'clock, and we can, All right. we can go, I think we can go a ways further here. I don't know if we'll get, we might get to cultivating the fear of the Lord in creation. Let's see. I translated verse 14 of John's first chapter. The word became flesh and blood. Interesting. And moved into the neighborhood. Now remember that Peterson is the one who wrote that paraphrase, the message. So I don't know if you have a copy of the message, but Peterson is really remarkable. I mean, I think it's so much better than the living Bible uh, because he is such a linguist. Uh, so again he translates pitched his tent or dwelt among us as moving into the neighborhood which again surely when I heard the home that the heirs bought I called Andy Helgeson and I called Joanna Hogan and I said you got a new neighbor and they were both very excited that
2: the heirs had moved into their neighborhood. And so... And the neighborhood they moved into, are moving into, Woody and I lived in, across the street from them, for 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I let him know that. But is that amazing? And I I know exactly the house where he is. And um, I let him know that he's moving into a really special place. Because it certainly is a a wonderful neighborhood. Yeah.
1: Great. Oh, yeah. So... We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, inside and out, true from start to finish. Quote, moved into the neighborhood triggers another childhood memory from that year when I was 10 years old. It was late August in the small Montana town in which I grew up. A moving truck rolled up our street and stopped at the house next door, a house that had been empty for several months. My friends and I were thoroughly bored, having exhausted the resources for play and entertainment through the vacation months. We had been waiting all summer for someone to move in, wondering who our new neighbors might be. And then everything changed with the arrival of the moving van at the unoccupied house next door. It was a North American Van Lines vehicle, majestic in its red, white, and blue logo. A huge truck, half a block long. It was the first time I would ever seen a moving van. It dominated the street, bringing with it an aura of expectancy, the promise of new life in the neighborhood. In our town, if you moved from one house to another, you called up everyone you knew who had a pickup truck and asked them for help. On moving day, there would be five or six pickups there to move. I got in on most movings because my father's red half-ton GMC truck was in much demand. Carrying out things from houses I had only seen from the outside, discovering the secrets of attics and basements getting a look at the -the behind-the-scenes lives of people. All this was high adventure for me, and I relished every bit of it. I evaluated each family's life by by its furniture and pictures, formed opinions based on the cleanliness or messiness of the closets, sifted through discarded junk for clues that revealed the way they lived. The pickups were always loaded high. In my memory now it seems that there was always a mattress on top with kitchen chairs roped to the sides, the load balanced precariously as we drove off in a certain in a caravan across town to the news. But this it, was it, a it a picture, huh? Wow. Yeah.
4: <laughs> cool.
1: Yeah, very cool. But this was a new experience, a moving van holding more than eight or 10 pickups could carry. Moving in our town was mostly a matter of rearrangement of residences of people we already knew or the arrival of relatives who, for the most part, were a variation on the same old thing. But this, this was promising. I and my two friends, Freddie and Bob, were watching with anticipation to see how our lives were about to be changed. We were ready for change. With the late summer boredom of school children, we were ripe for excitement. The new owners of the house didn't arrive for another two days. So the the only evidence we had for assessing these people was what we had observed as the van was unloaded. Who were these people? What would they be like? We watched the movers unload the van, alert for evidence of how our lives would be changed. We were there all day watching everything that came off that truck, making deductions and guesses about these people moving into our neighborhood. Two bicycles came off early. That meant there were children in the family and we would have playmates. Then skis came off. We lived in ski country, but none of us had ever skied. Only rich kids did that. It was obvious that the neighborhood was being upgraded. Then a motorcycle. I had never been close to a motorcycle before. Maybe we'd we'd be taken for a ride. Every item that came off the van was a clue to what we might expect from our new neighbors. When an immense plate glass mirror appeared, we knew these people were wealthy. All the furniture looked expensive we had hit the jackpot these people whom we didn't know simply by moving into the neighborhood were already transforming our lives we would never be bored again we would never be ordinary again two days later our new neighbors arrived mr and mrs tipton with their teenage children billy and cynthia their expensive chrysler sported new york license plates that was the icing on the cake we could feel the culture and celebrity of that fabled of the fabled east rubbing off on us our neighborhood was suddenly better and more interesting and important we couldn't wait for what was coming next st john sets us up to engage in a similar process of observation looking for signs listening to what is said and interpreting the signs and sayings when he tells us that Jesus dwelt among us, moved in our neighborhood. John enlists our curiosity and anticipation. We want to know what God is up to in his creation. We're all eyes and ears. But in that Montana summer, from the moment the Tiptons actually showed up, things more or less fell apart. Billy Billy, and Cynthia hated being in our little town. They called it a bush town and called us hicks or little Montana hayseeds. We never got near the chrome-trimmed Harley-Davidson. Got nothing but sneers from the new kids on the block. To hear it from them, all they had done in their previous life was lie in the sun on Jones Beach, go to Yankee baseball games, ride the carriages in Central Park, and stroll down Broadway spotting celebrities. Mr. Tipton never spoke to us. Self-important, he came and went with an immense black cigar in his mouth that you could smell from across the street. After a few days, our mothers made plates of cookies, and my two friends and I brought them to the door and knocked. Mrs. Tipton opened the door, took the cookies, thanked us unsmiling, and closed the door. We had hoped that we might get a look inside, might see how rich and important Easterners live. Among ourselves, my friends and I took our revenge by speculating on which dog in the neighborhood Mr. Tipton had followed to pick up that thing he was so fond of chewing on. At the event... The event that had promised so much delivered nothing, nothing but disappointment. We were shut out. As it turned out, we had misinterpreted every sign. But in John's gospel, the people looking for clues, the signs and sayings that John brings to our attention as Jesus moved into the neighborhood, found themselves in a new creation. At the end of the day, some, at least, of those who had watched and listened, knew that not only the neighborhood, but they themselves had changed forever. They had seen or beheld the glory. We observed the Genesis word in the beginning that John used to open his gospel rewriting of the creation story. Another word near the end of the gospel triggers a similar realization of correspondence between Genesis and John, inviting a continuing reflection on how personal and present the creation becomes to us as we follow Jesus. On the evening of his resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples, his fearful disciples huddled and cowering with all the life knocked out of them and breathes on them saying Receive the Holy Spirit John twenty twenty-two the phrase breathed on them is the identical phrase in Greek and Fusan used in Genesis chapter two when the Lord God breathed life into Adam who at once became quote, living soul. The Genesis in the beginning that opens John's gospel is now complemented by the Genesis breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, G- Genesis 2-7. As Jesus breathes his life-creating spirit into his disciples, the same spirit that moved over the chaos and became articulate in the eight God said commands that created the heavens and the earth now moves in the disciples so that they can continue the creation work of the firstborn of creation. I count 10 of those and God saids. So that was interesting. It is not clear by, is it not clear by now that John's Jesus story is a rewrite of the Genesis creation story with Jesus making himself personally at home in the same conditions of creation that we now inhabit. At home in time, unhurried and leisurely in the Genesis week, its seasons and days and years. Genesis 1, 14 as these find focus in, quote, that day, unquote, John fourteen twenty and sixteen twenty three, and my time, quote, unquote, John 7, 6, and my hour, John 2, 4, and the hour, John four twenty one five twenty five twenty 21, 28, 16, 2, 16, 32, and 17, 1, this hour, John 12, 27. And at home, in place, the Genesis Garden of Eden, with its trees and four rivers, now extending to Cana and Bethany, Galilee and Jerusalem, Samaria and Bethesda, Siloam and Golgotha, Capernaum and Kidron, places where Jesus walked. His feet on the ground, spoke names, touched men and women, ate and drank, went to trial was killed and buried never impatient with the limitations of time did jesus slip through some time warp and bypass the waiting never chafing under the limitation of place did jesus replace the local with some generalized ethereal spiritual quote presence anything and everything in creation was an occasion for the glory the entire creation manifested the bright presence of God, even in, and especially in, the most unlikely times and places. The line between supernatural and natural was constantly blurred. Very God in the utterly ordinary. Water pots, mud, fragments of bread, basin and towel, 153 fish let's just take note that they were big fish (laughs) That, that we continue to handle and deal with wherever we live and very man speaking simple words that give content to salvation vine, door, shepherd water, light words that we continue to speak as we go about our daily work. The two primary verbs that John uses to bring us into a good and obedient participation in the creation so that we are not mere spectators to it, whether appreciative or disgruntled, are, quote, believe and love. Both verbs involve us, in a reality that is more and other than ourselves. No gospel writer has used the two verbs to greater effect in getting us in on the work of creator and creation. When we believe, we respond embracingly to what we cannot see, the things of heaven, believe, is worked out in a life of worship and prayer to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we love, we respond embracingly to what we can see and touch and hear, the things of earth. Love is worked out in lives of intimacy and care among the people in our families, and neighborhoods and workplaces. John skillfully uses both verbs to cultivate responsiveness in us via Jesus to the entire range of creation work in which we are immersed simply by being born, but even more intensely by being born again. Jesus is our access to creation As the time and place to believe, Jesus immerses us in everything material, from the water pots at the Cana wedding to Lazarus's stinking corpse at Bethany. Things, stuff, bodies are holy. As we think and act sacramentally, we learn to believe Jesus draws us into a pervasive awareness of spirit, training us as, quote, detectives of divinity. Boy, that's a good term. (laughs) To interpret the signs and understand the sayings as evidence of the unseen yet unmistakable presence of God. We learn to recognize the glory. Now, this is uh, I think I think the eyes of faith uh, I don't know I, I forget now all the talks in uh, in the Mayus walk but in I've been on so many more Kairos weekends in Kairos one of the talks is you are not alone and mm. and I think you know mm. to, To an inmate who may be in solitary or has at most one other person in a cell with them, the idea that you are not alone, they often feel alone. And for roughly 90% of inmates, after five years of incarceration, no one comes to see them. No one from their family remains in touch with them. That they are cut off they are forgotten and so the idea that they are not forgotten the idea that they are not alone that there is someone who is interested in their daily existence and who desires to actually bless them and use them in meaningful ways to change the world where they are is a powerful thought for them and i think for us who are on the outside to imagine that as we walk through our day, that we are not alone, that we walk in a path that has been written before we walked on by a God who knows us fully and loves us more than we love ourselves and has ordained the places that we will find ourselves to grow us and our faith so that we will in at the end of days be found faithful is is I think what Angelo writes about in terms of kind of coming out of the darkness of atheism into the brightness of the glory of God That, that he saw all the same stuff but he saw all the same stuff from a completely different point of view that faith changed everything for him and Changed how he lived, changed how he walked, changed how he felt uh, that, that having the eyes of faith given to him or opened for him was a dramatic change of perspective, even though he was the same guy in the same body, going to the same office, doing the same things. So now let's see what we got here. Last paragraph. Jesus is our access to creation as the time and place to love. Quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Jesus is our access to creation as time and place to believe, quote, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name, John 20, verse 31. Believe and love our ways into creation as participants. And... I'm thinking that's where maybe we ought to stop. Anything you want to say? Anybody? I,
2: I think one of the things that I got out of that we didn't really talk about is how, you know, here comes the Son of God and all the bad things happened to him that he took on. And as Christians, we have to accept that we will too. You yes. know, just like the disciples. And he makes a really big point about that, I thought. That we also will face... It, just because we're Christians doesn't mean our life is going to be glorious. And I mean it is, you know, because yes. we follow Him. But I'm not saying it well. But uh,
1: no, no, you're yeah. right. Though Jesus said, "You can't be my disciple unless you deny yourself and yeah. take up your cross and follow me." That there is going to be that death is going to walk with us,
2: uh, That's a good and idea. we will, you know, we will give up. We will give up our vision
1: and our dreams for his vision and his dreams which will feel like death
2: Yeah, i remember there was an old nra bumper sticker that you
1: used to see on cars it said they can have my gun when they pry my cold dead fingers from the trigger you know so that's usually how we give up our dreams and our visions is When God pries our fingers from it, and uh, and replaces
0: it with something that we often reluctantly have to admit is better. Yeah, I like how it puts. I mean, it is uh, which is obviously the theme of the book, but just that God is everywhere, amidst of everything, and seeing seeing and every, everywhere we are, everywhere we go, every, everything that's going on is part of it. Um,
1: yeah,
0: and being deta- when we have eyes to see,
1: that's right.
3: That's right. I, I, I would only, um, tweak that a little bit and say that Christ is everywhere and everything. Exactly. I mean, that's his book. That's right. That's his right. book. The, 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 that's and that's Everything that's in the Bible, what you've been teaching us forever, from the beginning, that everything, everything is a foreshadowing of the future or an interpretation of the past. Yes. Yeah.
0: Did you say yesterday what seventy percent or ninety percent was either prophecy? What did you say? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven.
1: Twenty-seven percent. Yes, is is either foreshadowing or direct prophecy of the future.
0: Of twenty-seven. Okay, I was thinking it was much higher. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> but it is. no, I mean that's more than quarter of the whole buy. Bible
0: is yeah. You know that's
1: that's a significant percentage. A significant amount.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's the other seventy-five percent? Oh, just stuff, you know, just stuff, <laughs> begats and all that foolishness, you know. <laughs> You know, you got all those psalms. Perfect timing.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, uh,
4: uh,
1: so indictments of the past, You know, there's all kind of legal material. Yeah, you know how most lawyers are wordy.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs>
3: It's funny, you know, when I used to write briefs, it it would be uh, so simple. Things would be so simple. Uh, And then as you write and you write, things are so complicated, you know, and it's so long and it's so detailed and it's so convoluted. And then the more you learn and the more you understand, it
1: goes back to being simple again. Well, that was what I always thought was the irony about what lawyers wrote. They wrote briefs that were not brief. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: so, what's going on in the life of the church? We got uh, five minutes. You've been talking to Jared. Anybody over there? The girl in the water, or anybody? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that ain't my birthday. Happy birthday! You no.
1: Whose birthday? That's- it was Jared's birthday yesterday. Oh, Jared's, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I know nothing, Angelo.
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, and that's and that's still the case today. <laughs> uh, uh. So is
1: is the uh, I'm not sure who's supposed to set this up, but is the PNC in touch with the uh? uh the Presbytery committee about uh, trying to establish a date for installation?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Jim probably knows that.
1: I will will shoot a, uh, I will shoot a text to Zan Frick and ask who's supposed to take the lead in that. But again, you know, the times are so weird that, you know, you can't, you can't do these celebration things that you want to do. So, know, I don't thing. understand that, Lucky. I, 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 you know, I wrote something at
3: some point in time, maybe in his agreement, which was conditioned upon. I thought his his installation into Eco, and you changed it. You said, "No, he's already installed as a, as a." As a, well, I, don't, I don't remember all the all the stuff, there, but there was some very nuanced language that I didn't
1: get. <laughs> yeah, he was. He has been received into Eco. That's he's, the word you made me. Is, receive. Yes, received. Yeah, he's he's been received into Eco. He is uh, he is a uh, a member of the Presbytery, but he has not yet been installed as pastor. What is that mean? What what's well, the it's, of it's, that? Well, it's the same it's a ceremony uh but it's the same as you know at this point if you have been if you have been elected and examined and sustained by the session but you have not yet been uh ordained and or installed by the session is that you are basically operating without the ceremony of of that. You've done all the steps. Okay, so it's, ordained. I, I first um,
3: wrote ordained or something. You said, no, he's already ordained. You told me. That's that's thought, okay? Yeah. He's, he's been correct. ordained. Right. Okay, so then it was received.
1: Yes, he's been received by the presbytery. And now it needs to be installed. Now he needs to be installed by the presbytery in as pastor of First press I see. Okay, is that going to happen before he starts? <laughs> no, no, it'll happen. He'll get here and be on the payroll before that actually happens. So technically, will he be senior pastor or not? Yeah, yeah, he'll he operate will? senior pastor and head of staff. Uh, you know, but it's at this point, he is. It's like we're engaged, but we haven't had the ceremony. In fact, it's almost like in Europe, you can be legally married before you have, you have to be legally married before you have the church wedding.
4: Mm.
1: So, I see. You know, you go to the court okay. and, yeah. and you get legally married and yeah. then you go to the church and get, have the wedding ceremony. Yeah. We, we've been thinking about doing that here too. Yeah. So that's. Basically, you know, in in the United States, they basically allow the yeah. the religious leader to act as an agent of the state yeah. to fill out the the marriage license. Right, and we we've been
3: we've been thinking about that uh, that relationship between an overlap between church and state in that instance. Yes, yeah. may not be the best idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Because there then may be control by the state over the process. That's right. Too much influence. That's right. Yep. A concern. Okay. So,
1: I was curious. I mean, I, 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 didn't quite get all that. Okay. You know, but again, you know, the installation service, I'm sure will have to do with his family, uh, when they can be when they can be present, I'm sure they would want to be present. Uh, and again, with travel restrictions as they are, that's not going to be easy. Uh, just as I think, you know, kind of celebratory events for Steve or for me, is going to be awkward and difficult too. Yeah. So, but, but is, so, so is he
3: legally the, yes, the, the moderator? Yes. Of the session even though yeah. not installed yes yep I mean, so, not, I, not, not that this is a practical implication but i like to know yeah of course of course so you know
1: ideally you would... everything angelo yes. <laughs> so but i will uh i will shoot a uh, a text for kind of clarification to the the presbytery committee chair and see what I can find out about how we proceed to, to installation and who's supposed to kind of take the lead on that. <clears throat> like, like I say, you know, we change pastors every 40 years or so. So it's not something we're real familiar with. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and the last time we did it, we were not in this denomination. So, yeah. Anything else? Let's see, Sarah, did you take any pictures
0: of your garden? Uh, no, but I will. I will, okay. I will, I'll email them to you next time. Okay. I've got some, some of flowers. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, and Thursday, I've got to, I think I've got to cut it off at 10.
2: Oh, look. look at that. Oh, that's beautiful.
0: Those are, God planted those. I didn't. I have no, they're larkspur, and yeah. they're beautiful. And I had a hummingbird out there the other day. That's <sighs> out the back door. That's a good one. And, um, oh, look. There's a larkspur, deer, too. There's, and I, you can't see it, but there there were deer across the road. Where are larkspur? Yes, I'm too
1: You see this guy with the dark hair?
0: Oh, yes, yes, okay. Angela, uh, and what
3: else? That's what I, I want to look like.
0: <laughs> and my, this comes up, uh, no, a yellow rose. Wow. Let's see if it gets Oh, pretty. beautiful. Oh, wow. Not coming in. Wow. Uh, but it's been nice, it just keeps coming. Beautiful.
1: See, and you don't get black spot up there because it's not so humid.
0: about on the roses? Yeah. It has yeah, it has some black spot. Yeah.
1: Oh okay.
0: Yeah. It has been humid because it's been raining for the last, you know, raining or overcast a lot. So okay. So Angela's got Sorry. I say Angela's so, got the prayer.
3: So you got I do. I do. You want me to do it? Yeah. This is called divine support.